Chapter 4b, Basic Prayer Knowledge. In this chapter, we've been looking at made the righteousness of God. We saw in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Righteousness being the state of existence, which, as we have seen, Christians have in the new birth. The Christian being born again is righteous. That is, his spirit is righteous. But as 1 Corinthians 15, 34 tells us, we are to awake to righteousness, or literally, as the Greek adverb says, wake up righteously. Meaning, since we are righteous, we are to put to use this spiritual state of righteousness and stop the continual sinning. And if we keep on looking at this verse, there seems to be a following thought, not all have this knowledge. To wake up righteously would mean, as an action, you would have to have knowledge of the spiritual fact, that is, being righteous, and then act upon it. In 2 Corinthians 6-7, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Also in Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you all may be able to withstand in that evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having on your loins, wrapped around you, about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. These two verses about growing spiritually tell us about how to be stable and not stumbling. Notice Paul says, by or through the means of truth and power. Then he goes on to say, and having on or wearing the, the breastplate of righteousness. In a similar set of verses in the epistle to the Ephesians church, when speaking about standing in God, he also confirms the use of the truth and having on righteousness. Not only does the Christian need to know that he has been made God's righteousness, but that he must clothe himself or wear the, that knowledge of which he is, or live or act in that righteous state. Thus, in 1 John 3, 18 and 21 tells us that loving out of truth and loving out of an action reveals that we know that we are of the truth and our hearts will be assured or truth will be assured in us before him. This phrase, assured, would be better translated persuade. Thus, the word pesamentain, cardian, the first word being the first person plural indicative future active voice of the Greek word persuade, or literally, we persuade, and the next word, two words, the heart. This thought of developing the human spirit is too large of a subject to deal with right now, but having truth and living out of a revelation from our hearts is what causes us to be persuaded before God. And so our heart, or human spirit, does not need to bring condemnation to us because we have done something wrong. But as the following verses say, we then have boldness towards God. If we could speak about going to God and, and prayer, boldness is an accompanying freedom and it is required to go to him in this bold and in this freedom. Boldness or shame. We Christians seem to be running toward God or running away from him. This Hebrews 16th verse tells us that we are to run to God and his throne of grace, which can give us help. But as we have seen in 1 John 
3.21, our hearts condemning us or not affects our boldness and the accompanying freedom. If there is something which slows us down or stops us, it will also affect our effectiveness in prayer. The second thought about righteousness is its required awakening in our life. It is also a lifelong process. Thus, 1 John also says in 1 John 1, 9 and also 2, 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things I write to you that you all do not sin. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. After understanding who we are in Christ, or who we have become spiritually, we are to awake ourselves righteously. It is needed to also understand this is a process. In these two First John verses, we see it is God's will for the Christian to not keep on sinning. We need to keep in balance the difference between the saint and the sinner. As we have seen, first of all, in reference to this spiritual state, the saint is saved, the sinner is lost. The saint is a new creation and the righteousness of God, and the sinner is not. And going on to say there is no way for the sinner to achieve this state nor to develop this state of righteousness in their lives. The sinner must come to God through Christ. But as in other areas or other places of the word of God, he tells us like Romans 8 chapter, there is now no condemnation in Christ. But it goes on to say, balancing this thought to the ones who walk in the fourth verse, Romans 8, 1 and 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Fourth verse, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not after and not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the saints, it is necessary for us to know that we are saints and that we are righteous. But this righteousness and its freedom from condemnation is not a progressive thing. It is an immediate thing. That is going from sinner to saint. But also righteousness and waking up righteously in that righteous state is progressive for the saint. But we need to walk righteously, or as Romans 8, 4 says, according to the spirit, not the flesh. In the second chapter of John, first epistle, in the first verse, God gives us his plan. God wrote this epistle to the Christian, not the sinner. For us to know sinlessness is God's plan. But because the Christian develops in righteousness in this state, he also tells us that we have a way to be cleansed if we sin, if we confess our sins. John 16, 8. And when he has come, he will reprove or convince or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me. The sinner is trapped in sin and in his sins because he has not believed on Jesus yet. As John 16, 8 tells us, but the saints could still act in many unrighteous ways and thus, if we the saints confess our sins. The Christians should be quick to hear and also quick to repent or confess their sins and be forgiven and cleansed. This is part of righteous awakening. 
the more we wake righteously, the more necessity it is to keep the forgiving process happening. Because God does not tell us to wait to be mature to start living what we know. And speaking about being effective in prayer, we need to start praying where we are and not wait till we have become perfect or mature. The words of Jesus. Let's now look at another area. What did Jesus say about prayer? This also is a factor when we pray because Jesus taught us the way we should pray. In John 16, 23 and 24, And in that day you all shall ask me, Jesus, nothing. Verily, verily, I, Jesus, say to you, Whatsoever you all shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Up to this point you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you all shall receive, that your joy may be full. In these two verses, we see Jesus teaching on prayer. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus tells us that he was going to change prayer. That is, the time period from the Old Testament to the time period of the New Testament, prayer was going to change. Notice he said, in that day, that day which he is referring to, is to that day in which the resurrection and the ascension. If you just search the context in these verses, you will see this is very easily understood. It is also important to understand, if Jesus made changes in the way we should pray, these changes were made for us to follow. Does this not also infer from this text that the subject of prayer is also progressive revelation, and that prayer from one time period may be different from a previous time period. We need to grow up into those areas where Jesus made changes also. For example, Matthew 6, 9-13. After this manner, therefore, pray you all. Our Father which is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And parts of this context, of course, is not in the Greek text, but for that, we'll just look at all of it. Here in these verses, we have what people call the Lord's Prayer. But really, this is not the Lord's Prayer. At least, this is not a prayer which the Bible records Jesus praying. And of course, it is not an example prayer for the New Testament time period. You have to remember the time period in which Jesus told these disciples how to pray, and that was before his resurrection. All you have to have is to understand this is to compare it to the revealed truth which is written to the church in the epistles of the New Testament. Are we delivered from the authority of darkness? Colossians 1, 12 and 13. Sure, we are. Then why would you pray to deliver us from the evil one, which the Greek text literally says? When Jesus answered this disciple, asking him if he would teach them to pray, as John the Baptist also taught his disciples, Luke 11, 1, we have here Jesus' response. Remember, revelation is progressive and progressive in nature. Jesus answered the question. Many times you have to understand the scripture first in light of whom it is speaking to, and then there are those times which we have to understand at what time period these things were said. The people who lived before the flood had less revelation of God than Abraham. And the people who lived under the law had less revelation than those when Jesus walked upon the earth. And the church has the greatest revelation yet. But think about even the revelation of the church. 
the Gospels have less revelation than the, the book of Acts. And the epistles are the greatest revelation. Why? The Gospels were written concerning Jesus and what they believed about him and his ministry. The book of Acts is written about the church, what the church did, whether right or wrong. It is a written account of what they did know of the believers and what they were doing in the early church. For example, in the book of Acts, we see the apostles choosing the next apostle of the Lamb, and they cast lots to do so. But we have no command to do or cast lots from Jesus in the New Testament time period. But that is what Luke records them of doing. Acts 1, 24-26. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show whether of these or which of these you have chosen, that he may take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, and that he might go to his place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lots fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. But the epistles are written to the New Testament church, so that when the epistles are written, we see, you, when you read, the Gospels think, what time period is it? Jesus is walking in them. Remember, Jesus said in John 16, 23, Prayer was going to change in that day in reference to the resurrection and his seating at the right hand of God. Prayer in the New Testament is based solely upon what Jesus has already accomplished in his death, his burial, resurrection, ascension, and his seating at the right hand of majesty in the heaven. When Jesus answered to this one disciple what is quoted in Matthew 6, 9-13, he had not yet died nor had he been raised yet. So none of the great victories had been accomplished over the kingdom of darkness and over sin as when he was raised from the dead. Of course, there are certain things in this teaching on prayer by Jesus which are still true today, and we can learn something from them. You might say, well, which are the true things and which are not? Well, think about it. All we have to do is look within the epistles to see if what was taught in the Gospels are the same or not. That is how we can know if the principle is not changed. The epistles and the book of Revelation are God's last and final revelation to the church. So all we have to do is search them and compare what was previously taught to know if it is the same now. Note, if you compare the so-called Lord's Prayer to the rest of the New Testament epistles, what we do learn. Jesus told us to pray, Our Father, which is in heaven. Has this changed? No. But those who have and who were hearing it, then it would have been a new thing to call God Father. We see many examples of Paul praying to the Father God. Ephesians 1.17 That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The next part in Matthew 6.9 says, Holy be your name. This is also still true today. God's name is to be thanked and praised, and throughout the epistles you find them telling us to worship and thank God because he is worthy and holy. As a matter of fact, this type of prayer is more spoken of than any other kind of prayer in the New Testament, the prayer of thanksgiving, that is. Greater yet is the fact that there is more teaching and more examples of the prayer of thanksgiving and the prayer of prayers more than the entire Bible than any other kind of prayer that you could be praying or praying. Being reverent 
and thankful to God in prayer should occupy much of our time. Notice these verses, Colossians 1.3. We give thanks to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always. 2 Thessalonians 1.3. We are bound to thank God always for you. Brethren, as it is right, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you towards each other abounds. 2 Timothy 1.3. I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I am remembrance of you in my prayers night and day. Although when you look at the rest of this teaching on prayer by Jesus recording in Matthew 6, you will notice these great differences from then to now, because much has happened since Jesus taught these things. First, Jesus didn't tell them to pray in his name when they prayed that. When this section shows you out of Matthew, he never said, pray in my name. Why he did he not? Remember when Jesus spoke this, it was at the beginning of his ministry. Later in Jesus' ministry, he did begin to start sharing with them when it was closer to his death about the coming day and the use of his name. They at that time could not use his name in prayer. Then note that next statement, thy kingdom come. Jesus told his disciples to pray to the Father, like John's disciples, that the kingdom of God would come. You would not want to pray for the kingdom of God to come today because the kingdom of God has already come and we are already recipients of that kingdom. Notice Hebrews 12:28. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God well-pleasing and reverently and godly fear. Romans 14:17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Colossians 4.11 And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers in the kingdom of God, which we have to be comfort to you. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 That you all would walk worthy of God, who has called you to his kingdom and his glory. What you and I should be asking God about his kingdom is what Paul prayed. What is the hope of his calling? Where do we fit in the kingdom which we are a part of? And who has Jesus made us in his kingdom which we have received from God? And again, remember that Jesus noted that the kingdom of God came without observation. The kingdom, the natural kingdom, is yet to come in the years to come called the millennium. But there is a spiritual kingdom which is right now, which that's why you don't pray for the kingdom to come because we are spiritually interacting with it already. Notice Paul's prayer, Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you all may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Did you see that Paul was praying for these Christians' inner man? to see what God did accomplish through Jesus. We should be seeking to know what we do have in his kingdom, but to ask God to send his kingdom would be to say it is not here, and we are waiting for it. Also, in the next part, to ask God for his will to be done in earth as it is in heaven makes a statement that you and me do not know God's will. If it was that God's will to be done, then that is to say it was not yet done yet. 
it also infers that it's up to God for his will to be done upon the earth as it is in heaven. But now God has given his will and it is accomplished in Christ. Notice Colossians 1.9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Did you notice in Paul's prayer in Colossians that he wanted God to fill them with his will? You can't fill someone with something which doesn't exist already or has been revealed. God made known his will so we could be filled with it. This is truly what has happened and has been happening in the, the writing of the epistles. It's up to you and to me to do the will of God. Of course, we should be seeking God's will to be done. That is, God's will which cannot be found within the scriptures for our personal lives. But think with me. When this was spoken by Jesus, he was only starting to reveal God's will. God has revealed everything that he is going to reveal to us of his will to mankind. He has given to the church to know his will. We need to be praying not that God's will be done, generally speaking, but that the will of God which he has revealed will be known so it may be accomplished. God has already revealed his will to us. Notice Ephesians 1.9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. It is up to us to know his will, which he accomplished and revealed in the scriptures, and especially in the epistles of the New Testament, and become obedient in the performance of the truth. When you look at the phrase, give us this daily, our daily bread, you are asking God to give what people need to eat. But the difference between the time when Jesus said to pray this and now is all of our needs are met through Jesus. So we would just receive in faith from God's provision in Christ because of redemption. To ask God to give us what we already gave us, what he already gave us, would be kind of strange, don't you think? Christ is our provision. In faith, we just receive it from his provision. Whether you release your faith in God's provision in prayer or not, you could release your faith without in doing it in prayer. It then says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Take time to think about this. What are all of these verses from Jesus's early teaching on prayer saying? They are really saying we are not yet redeemed. They are saying Jesus has not died. They are saying Jesus is not our victory. We today are not forgiven by God because we forgive others. Notice Ephesians 4, 32 and 5, 1 and 2. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Be you all therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us, and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. These verses are telling about what God accomplished through Jesus. They tell us, we should act and follow God in life. Did you notice God doesn't forgive you because you forgive others? God forgives you and me because of Jesus. I think you can get the idea of what I'm saying. The Matthew 6, 9 through 13 teaching on prayer now has to be looked at through what has been accomplished in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus in John 16, 23 started to speak on the future day, 
after his resurrection, Jesus tells us not to pray to he himself, Jesus himself, but to pray to the Father in his name. You see, all that can be produced in prayer is because of Jesus and his name. We in these days look backwards and we say we pray to the Father God in Jesus' name because he now is on the throne and he has given us his name to use in prayer. We pray Prayer should not be then directed to Jesus. I know this will be hard for some, but the body of Christ has to grow up into the truth. Jesus said we in that day were to pray to the Father in his name. After the day of the resurrection, when Jesus obtained eternal salvation by placing his blood upon heaven's altar, we would have the use of his name. Majestic name of Jesus. To truly understand the power which we have in prayer, you have to understand about the majestic name of Jesus. To God, a name is important. God said that a name is to be chosen rather than riches. Remember Proverbs 22.1. A name in reality is what represents the person. Then a person's name and the person which it represents are one. If the person is someone important, then the person's name is also important. If the person has done something really great, then his name also is full of the same greatness. If the person conquers his enemies and then places in a position of authority over them, then his name also carries this same authority. So Jesus himself and his accomplishments and his position in heaven is what makes his very name so powerful and so full of power.